Hello everyone! Welcome back to the Constructional Approach to Animal Welfare and Training Podcast. We are your host, I am Masa. Hello everybody, and I'm Sean. We hope that you are cuddled up with your animal companion and ready for another exciting episode. In today's episode, we will have a special guest who is going to talk to us more about the Constructional Approach. This is an important topic because it has the ability to touch so many different aspects of our lives. This approach has been found to be useful not only with humans needing assistance with achieving meaningful life goals, but also with animals and animal shelters. In fact, our guest is going to get into such amazing detail that this interview will extend over two episodes. Without further delay, let's introduce our special guest. Dr. T.V. Joe Lane. Thank you, Masa. Dr. Joe Lane has 50 years of experience in the experimental and applied analysis of behavior, with a particular focus on the design of teaching and learning environments. Joe earned his PhD in behavioral science biopsychology at the University of Chicago. While at Chicago, he also contributed to the discovery and characterization of the behavioral process known as contingency adduction. Joe also has extensive clinical behavior analysis experience with a focus on ambulatory schizophrenia, especially the systemic as well as topical treatment of delusional speech and hallucinatory behavior. Joe has published over 50 articles or chapters and a book on signal detection theory for behavior analysts. In 1999, he co-founded Headsprout. At Headsprout, Dr. Lang led the scientific team that developed the technology that formed the basis of the company's patented early reading and reading comprehension online reading programs, for which he was the chief architect. The reading programs have helped over 3 million children learn to read and have been awarded the software industry's most prestigious acknowledgement, the Cody Award, for Best Instructional Solution. He is currently a partner in Generatigy, which publishes the patented Music Learning Lab, Joe is a fellow of the Association of Behavior Analysis International and Chair Board of Trustees, the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. Without further delay, we will begin playing parts of our interview with Dr. Joe Lang. In this first segment, you will hear Joe describe the origins of the constructional approach. As you know, the constructional approach originated with Israel Goldheimer. Mm-hmm. Um, he, um, when he published a major paper on it in 1974, he was, uh, this was the culmination of uh, a major uh, research and development effort that he began in the early 1960s. Mm. Um, this, um, uh, he was interested in psychotherapy and, and helping people in therapies for quite some time. And in the early 1960s, he and Miles Miller and Yael Dairu formed a research treatment group that began an experimental analysis of the therapeutic uh, relationship with clients. Mm-hmm. Now, typically, one finds when one thinks about therapeutic uh, uh, approaches, one thinks that one has an approach, and they try it out, and they see how it works with clients, and then they try it against other approaches and so on. Gold Diamond and his colleagues took a slightly different approach. Mm-hmm. What they did is that they actually sat behind a, a, you know one of these two-way mirrors, and where one of them would work with a client, and the other two would observe. 
And then they would give their feedback on, from their various perspectives. Gold Diamond, of course, was a behavior analyst, not a psychologist. You know, Dyrud was a trained psychoanalyst. Mm. And Miles Miller was a social psychologist, mm. interested in clinical work and phenomena. And so from their uh, different perspectives then, they analyzed and gave their own perspective from their own training histories as to what was happening and why and what they were doing. So they would explain what they were doing and the other two would make inquiries about it. And then they'd make suggestions uh, concerning what to do next with that client. In other words, this was a control analysis type of program where could we make adjustments on the fly to our procedures while the sessions were going on, session by session by session, right? In such a way as to produce the outcomes that were positive for the client. Well, as they did this, it became more and more clear that the functional analysis behavior, and as described by Skinner and others, was what all of them were trying to achieve. And Yarl Dirud in his 19, oh, I believe, I don't, it was the early 70s, wrote a paper called The Treatment of Anxiety States. And in that paper, he writes, the goal of psychoanalysis is likely best served by a Skinnerian functional analysis. Mm. That our goal is to make the, a goal of making the unconscious conscious, and I'm paraphrasing here, is to make the implicit consequences governing behavior explicit. Mm. And so he maintained that the, that, uh, that the toolbox of change for psychoanalysts could become from Skinnerian opposite psychology. Mm. In 1968, uh, Goldiamond and Dyrud published a paper uh, that described this program of research and results. It was very unique. Um, single subject design. And from that, you'll notice that the term control analysis occurs. And if you look at the Goldiamond and Thompson textbook, they talk about control analysis. What that means is that oftentimes you try to set up and get control, and then you can analyze the variables which have to be changed in order to gain, maintain that, to obtain that control. Well, if you stop and look at that, oftentimes that means there's an outcome. <laughs> the animal comes in with certain repertoires. You have to do certain things to obtain that control and to analyze. And what you see is the constructional approach is a, as a logical outgrowth of the experimental control analysis strategy, where data are informing you moment by moment and where you're looking at the variables and bringing them under control as they move forward. So the history of the construction approach is in that control analysis. And it's also, at the time, if you look at the times, the 1950s and 60s, was a time when program instruction was becoming uh, uh, popular and investigated. And if you look at the original constructional paper, Gold Diamond talks about 
that the constructional approach is very similar to program instruction, which follows a very similar design strategy as found in the constructional approach for designing instruction. And so the construction approach has its origins in this control analysis and program instruction history and the clinical research. And these three things combine to produce what today we know as constructional approach and, uh, and on a different topic, systemic and topical intervention, which would be on the, the, the subject matter which we're talking today. But in, by and large, that's where its outgrowth came. Now we will hear how Joe got involved with the construction approach. Um, I became involved in it, interestingly enough, because my initial area of interest was in the control analysis strategies as described by Sidman and Tactics, his book uh, that was uh, written in 1860, um, and my interest in program instruction. When I first got a position as a mental health worker in a psychiatric hospital, I brought this program instruction background to my work and to the work of the unit and began goal analysis, performance problem analysis, uh, repertoire uh, uh, entry behavior description goals, and began helping people achieve their life goals as programs, and we looked at each step along the way as a frame. Mm. Well, Izzy Goldiamond came to a conference that we had, hearing what we're doing, said you should read this, handed me a copy of, a pre-publication copy of a constructional article, which was coming out in the spring of 74. I guess this would have, this would have been right before that time when it was coming out. He had given me a, a copy um, in um, typed up, double-spaced copy. And I went through and read it, and it immediately matched what I was doing in the hospital. But it did it in a very systematic way that had much more uh, research behind it, and it was more clearly formulated. It had some other things like the constructional questionnaire and the, and the, uh, the, the sub-goal worksheets and the self-control worksheet that I didn't have. And so I completely replaced what I had put together with what was in the constructional approach and immediately began applying it the very next day after getting the article. I read the article uh, twice that night. It was 84 pages long in, in the journal, so it was probably 150 pages of double space or whatever. And I read it twice that night and went in the next day and completely... Uh, threw out all my materials and redid it and began implementing constructional uh, uh, therapeutic interventions literally the next day, mm. not figuratively, literally the next day. And so from that on, we developed a research treatment group called the Personal Effectiveness Group, uh, which did it in a group format. And it's also interesting uh, way that, and it could be applied to animal training as well, we had Patients come in, and individually we do individual interviews. We ascertain what their outcomes were and what their logs, they keep their logs. But then they come back to a group and talk about whether they achieve their goals or not, the issues they found, 
they'd go over their logs with everybody in the group. Mm. And the people in the group would give their input. Well, you know, have you tried this? Have you thought about that? Sometimes we would rehearse in the group. Sometimes that rehearsal would be to identify the functional relations involved and set up a sub-goal related to it. Other times, it was so that they could practice something they wanted to do outside the group and extend it, called behavioral rehearsal and so on. And we, that article, and we wrote an article about that that was published in 1976. Mm-hmm. So one of the first articles uh, published on constructional approach in clinical setting was pub, uh, uh, published, and it was called, um, I believe, um, Inpatient Psychiatry and Program Instruction, Application Research and Constructional Theory. And we published our work primarily describing the work of the personal effectiveness group. And the uh, uh, so utilizing this group format, it would be interesting to see if people mm-hmm. did this with animal training. I don't know if it could be done, but it might be a way of economically mm-hmm. uh, uh, and getting support, a community support or constructional applications across a range of problems. Um, I don't know of any other constructional group that has ever been designed before, or, or well, it's never one never occurred before. I don't know if any have occurred since. Mm. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. know of any um, uh, in that context. There was some in Izzy's lab that we started mm-hmm. uh, that were primarily aimed in the out of the behavioral nutrition group. Well, people uh, shared that, and, and so it was a similar type of effort. So, but we didn't write that up. Mm. Uh, we did write the other one up. So the uh, um, that was my background in constructional. It was heavily, of course, influenced by the person who developed the constructional approach, Israel Goldiamond. And of course, as most people know, I, I went on to study with Goldiamond at the University of Chicago and spent many, many years with him. Uh, working in the clinic and in the laboratory as well. And now we have reached the final segment for this episode, and Joe will now describe to us what the constructional approach is. Well, the constructional approach, as the name implies, Mm -hmm. talks about building things or constructing them. Uh, The other approaches often uh, to uh, working in in the world of... uh, where there's a problem and problem behaviors and so on, or what people think are problems, is to eliminate behaviors or to get rid of problems. Mm-hmm. In the constructional approach, we don't do that. We, mm-hmm. we always ask what it is that we need to do, the absence of which is the problem. Mm-hmm. But in essence, what we try to do is have a clear understanding of what we're trying to get to, what we're trying to build. So in, in the case of animals, for example, uh, uh, if jumping up on an owner is a problem or do, uh, having a dog jump on the owner is a problem, the question, the constructional question would not be how do we eliminate jumping on people? Mm-hmm. The constructional problem is what needs to be in place such that the dog doesn't jump? Mm-hmm. What is the dog should be doing? Mm-hmm. What is it we want them to do? Not what is it we want them not to do? And the same is true of people in dealing with, uh, uh, you know, clinical issues. We also, in a constructional approach, assume that all behavior makes sense. Mm-hmm. That primarily behavior is a function of its consequences and thereby makes sense. In other words, it's selected. Mm-hmm. 
um, we um, uh, do not consider behavior as maladaptive. It is adaptive to its circumstances and its situations, although it can be disturbing. In that sense, it can be causing problems for those in around the organism that's being disturbing or the organism itself. It can cause problems. Mm -hmm. But that still, if we look closely at the behavior, what we find is that it makes sense. And that once that sense is discovered, then we can intervene in such a way as to provide the same consequences, maintaining the disturbing patterns. But for patterns that are not as disturbing to the others or or anyone else, mm-hmm. the construction approach has four, well, actually five components. Uh, the first is we always state what the outcome is going to be, in as specific as uh, terms as possible. And these can be sometimes behaviors, sometimes they're accomplishments. In other words, what's going to be the outcome of of this behavior? Uh, an accomplishment might be. If for a person, I'll be employed uh, at uh, a computer science, with a computer science position. Something like that is an outcome, right? It's not a behavior. It's an, it's an accomplishment. It's an outcome. On other hands, uh, uh, I'll be able to carry on conversations where people will want us, well, people will be sitting and talking to me for at least four to five minutes at a time. Well, those are behaviors. Mm-hmm. Uh, right of conversing and so on and so forth. So it's a mixture of behaviors and accomplishments is what our behavioral outcomes are. Then what we do is we look at what we call the current relevant repertoire. What does the person come to the table with or the animal? Where do we start? And we look at the terminal outcome and then we look at this current relevant repertoire and it will tell us where we can start. In other words, where in that repertoire is there something that if we changed it just a little bit, it'd be in the movement direct toward the direction of where we want to be? So that um, um, we may find that uh, uh, we have a dog that comes up to us, very happy and so forth, and it's coming up, and we see that it is very responsive to our gestures and, and smiles and so forth, and it's very... Uh, uh, responsive to petting. Well, we can start with that repertoire, in, in, in essence. We could, um, in the case of people, uh, someone who is uh, trying to um, uh, be more assertive, we find out that uh, they can um, uh, speak in front of, a, uh, of people as long as they're well-prepared. So we can say, oh, what can we do that we can, they can use their preparation skills to prepare them for more social gatherings, mm-hmm. just as, a, as an element. Mm-hmm. The next thing we look at is what are our change procedures? We try to look at what are the steps that we're going to take to get us from where we are now to where we want to be. Now, you notice I use the word steps, mm-hmm. and that means that we take the current relevant repertoire, and oftentimes, uh, in working with human uh, clients, we have more than one goal. Uh, we may look then for what are the sub-goals that we're going to work on that, if accomplished, lead to the next sub-goal in a step-by-step fashion 
that results in the terminal outcome. The key here is we don't ask for the terminal outcome on day one mm -hmm. or say you should be doing this and now let me support you trying to do that. Instead, we say, well, what little change that we can see is a step in that direction can we ask for? You know, it's very similar to what you see in shaping. We look for a variation and a change. Now, in the case of constructional programming, we use the whole realm of what we know from behavioral programming. We use uh, shaping, fading, uh, stimulus change procedures. We use stimulus shaping procedures, uh, all range of procedures, uh, transfer. We take repertoires that were there. We do component building and then bring it in and ask for more composite repertoires. We can talk about that nuance later if you like. Um, we do these things in terms of we try to give an idea of given the person's strengths and where they're coming from or the animals, what kind of programs would be most effective in taking us from where we are now to where we want to be. And then we look at maintaining consequences. Now, typically in working with humans, we don't need any other maintaining consequences except uh, those which um, show progress toward the outcome is the main one. In other words, this change, oh, I'm getting closer, I'm getting closer, I'm getting closer. And if we've clearly identified the consequences maintaining the more disturbing patterns, can we get those consequences to occur as a function of moving closer to the outcome as well? So by getting those consequences aligned and progress, we typically don't need extraneous or program extrinsic consequences. In the animal training world, of course, food is often used. And that is often an extraneous consequence, but it's necessary to maintain the behavior through the program, which then can be picked up and other consequences can occur. So sometimes there's a role, even in the human situation, for extraneous consequences. We tend not to use them as often. Then one thing that occurs when we work clinically that I don't see as much, truthfully, in the animal training world, is taking data. Mm -hmm. In essence, we um, want to monitor progress. So we want to have records of what's going on, when, under what circumstances, when, what happened, when and where, and so forth, given our procedures. Um, I, we, we keep pretty uh, uh, explicit records of a variety of types in the uh, uh, in the clinic, um, in animal training, I don't see a lot of explicit <laughs> informal record keeping often. So that may be one thing that uh, uh, differentiates uh, animal and human approaches. But I'm not sure a little bit more explicit record keeping might not hurt. <laughs> might not you know might might help mm. in essence in the uh, in the animal world as as well. So to recap. Uh, we have our, our, our target outcomes, our current repertoire, our program steps, our maintaining consequences, and then we have our progress monitoring uh, to know how we're doing. And in the human case, the goal is to first assist our clients in setting the, uh, the, these programs, and then as rapidly as possible, turning the whole process over to them. Uh, which 
I think is a little more difficult to do in the animal world, <laughs> but the, uh, 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 but uh, uh, it is extremely important in the human world that we teach the our clients to take a constructional approach to their own own problems and issues. But I can see that um, all the steps because when you're working with animal, you're inevitably inevitably working with animal caretaker. So using that approach to animal caretakers so that they can themselves figure out how to do when other behavioral problems occur in the future. That's right. So I think that is a really, really important approach. Well, you know, there's another interesting part to this. When we would work with a parent, let's say, who has a child that they came, actually came into us for, mm -hmm. to work with, or another significant other, yeah. like, oh, I have to... Oh, my husband, he, I, I got, you know, he's just insufferable and we got to, you know, I wish he'd change and so on and so forth. Well, we would never contract to change the behavior of another person. Instead, mm -hmm. we would contract to teach them a constructional approach mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to getting what they wanted. And then they could apply that constructional approach to their interactions with others. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about it, um, people coming in with animals to be trained, teaching them to take a constructional approach to their animal is where the contract really is. Mm -hmm. Not so much training the animal, which becomes a byproduct then mm -hmm. of the successful training of the people to be constructional. Yeah, it really right. is. Our mission is to disseminate construction approach to the people and the the, the byproduct of it is to them having a really great relationship with their own animal. So It reminds me of something that Steve White used to say a lot at the Art and Science of Animal Training conferences. And uh, he used to always talk about the role of the trainer, the behavior analyst going out as being one that provides relief to the people that are experiencing some sort of difficulty. Mm -hmm. And so it seems like providing them a way to solve not just this situation, but to be constructional in more situations is exactly what our goal should be. Yeah. That wraps up our interview for this episode. We hope you enjoy listening to the interview. Please subscribe to our show and join us in the next episode for the conclusion to the interview, where Joe will get into depth on how constructional programs are structured. Please check the description section for links to the articles that Joe mentioned during the interview. Feel free to get more information or reach out to us on Facebook, Constructional Approach to Animal Welfare and Training, or email us at caawtcontact at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are your host. I am Masa. And it was a pleasure being here today. I am Sean. Have a wonderful day with your amazing animal companion. <laughs>